Hello, and welcome to the eTech Podcast with me, your host, Ryan Morn. I have been involved in the development of electrified vehicles and machines since 2005 as an engineer and a business leader. This podcast is the product of my passion for electric and autonomous vehicle technology. I'm here to share knowledge from some of the world's leading experts, as well as my own insights. Join me as we accelerate the transition to cleaner, safer and smarter vehicles and grow the industry around the world. In this podcast, uh, the audio is from a conference I spoke at. Uh, It was a really good conference, very interesting. It was called the Integer Emissions Summit, and that was held in Dresden in Germany uh, in June 2017. Uh, It's still very relevant today. Um, I spoke about the opportunities for electrification in heavy-duty machinery, and in particular, I went into some depth about our experiences with 48-volt mild hybrid systems and 24-volt micro-hybrid systems for off-highway and commercial vehicle applications. Um, So I really hope you enjoy the podcast, um, and let's get on with it. Morning, everyone. Um, So just in case you don't know who Avid are, because we are a fairly small business, um, we are based in the northeast of England, so just north of Newcastle. um, And we've been involved in electrification of vehicles since the beginning. Um, so it's fair to say uh, since before it was fashionable um, and it's, uh, it's very much become, become fashionable now. Our particular expertise is around the um, ancillary systems on the powertrain um, and the, the core competency of the business is really very high power density electronics and motor design and really all we do is heavy duty and high performance vehicles. Often, uh, you know, Unfortunately, I don't get to drive many cars with our stuff in because they're made by companies like McLaren and Koenigsegg, uh, and I can't afford them. (laughs) So just a a bit of general background. Um, We see three trends in the marketplace that are kind of driving activity within our customers. Um, The first uh, big one is clean air. Really, um, you you know, you could argue the climate change uh, element, but... In the last couple of years, the clean air agenda has really come to the forefront. And that's definitely been helped by the Dieselgate uh, scandal that's been mentioned a few times already in the last couple of days. But we're really seeing that drive a huge amount of activity in our customer base, developing solutions which are going to be compatible with the the clean air demands and regulations that are coming for cities. Um, So I I know it was mentioned earlier about Clean air is important in uh, non-urban environments as well, but really we, we see that being the drive. And I, I wouldn't say, because money is always a problem, um, but it's definitely the driver for this is, is not cost. So some very different conversations with machine manufacturers who, um, you know, normally it's all about the added cost to the machine and the return on the benefit to the operator. This is basically just, um, you know, about getting product that's zero emission capable, um, that can operate in, in cities. Um, so there's some examples there of buses and cars and trucks, which truck particularly mentioned already this morning. Um, but we're also seeing this in uh, construction machinery as well. So um, the other interesting trend is electrification for performance. So this is kind of right at the opposite extreme. Um, there's, a, there's an interesting kind of thing that's really come through here. Um, in terms of an angle on electrification of the vehicle powertrain. So uh, probably the, the neatest example on there is the Koenigsegg, um, which is an absolutely phenomenal car. Um, 
So huge engine, but actually enormous electric powertrain in that vehicle. Um, I mean, the McLaren P1 has uh, some criticism for being hard to drive because it's too quick. The Koenigsegg must be uh, almost impossible. But the, the story from the manufacturer is around the, their experience in the past of developing a very high performance internal combustion engine powertrain. And what they found is actually they can deliver a much lower platform engineering cost to go with a very high performance powertrain using the electrical um, solution, so hybrid solution. So McLaren uh, currently only have a P1, um, which is a hybrid. Again, they learned from that experience this electrification can allow us to extend the performance of a base ICE engine. Um, so now the, the new McLaren strategy, which has been announced, uh, all of their vehicles are going to be hybrids. So they're basically going to standardize on one base engine and then fill in the performance gaps with electrification. So these are all kind of really neat examples from the passenger car world. And I can say there are um, clear examples that we, we're working on, working with customers in the commercial vehicle and off-highway world, where you might at the moment use four or five different uh, base engines, but using a, a smart hybridization strategy, you can standardize down onto one engine and then fill in the performance gaps with electrification. So the, um, the piece part cost on the machine is, is likely to be slightly higher, but the platform engineering cost is likely to be much lower. Um, so if you're only selling quantities of hundreds or low thousands of vehicles or machines, then actually that can have a significant impact on the cost of the machine. So it's, it's, a, it's an interesting example, obviously some pretty pictures, uh, but it, it, it's basically, it's not always about the, the platform, uh, about the component cost. And one other interesting thing that's happening at the moment that we can see with the likes of Tesla, Lucid, uh, Faraday Future, is the sort of rise of uh, some new car manufacturers and the simple reason for that is it's now uh, very possible to develop a, a vehicle with an electric powertrain uh, for a much lower entry cost than an ICE powertrain um, so I think we'll see some more of that in the future and, and some big changes so so this is interesting obviously interesting in passenger car but has some real practical applications in in commercial vehicles and off-highway so the, the final trend is, is um, the slide says CO2, but um, actually really it's fuel saving. Um, so unfortunately I've learned the hard way that uh, customers are not particularly uh, concerned with the environment unless there's some sort of net benefit in operating costs to the vehicles or machinery for them. So we do see a lot of activity and in fact Avid's core business really is, is this electrification for fuel saving. So. Um, that's been forced in that um, over the last 10 years we've had, a, we've had a clear agenda as a business but convincing customers that it's worth investing in powertrain electrification has meant being very clear about what the benefit is in terms of a fuel saving and a payback um, versus an add-on cost to the vehicle. So there's some nice examples there. The, um, the micro-hybrid bus um, system, so basically now in the UK um, and in North America Pretty much 100% of new buses um, sold are what we would class as a micro-hybrid. So they have a 24-volt base electrical system. Um, they use a smart charging system, so it's a controlled alternator. So basically turns the alternator off when the vehicle's accelerating and turns it on when the vehicle's decelerating. So you're only generating electrical power under braking, so re regen braking effectively, albeit at a fairly small scale. 
and then there are other components electrified on the bus and depending on whose bus it is um, the extent of electrification varies but the, the absolute base is electrified cooling system so replacing the hydraulic fan drive with electric fans um, and then the add-ons are electric drives for power steering pumps electric drives for the air compressor and the other ancillaries on the vehicle um, and the, the the bus market's really shown um, it's, it's an interesting example where normally when we're talking about electrification it's all about traction so we're thinking about do we replace a diesel engine with an electric motor to propel the vehicle but actually in particularly buses and off-highway machinery where it's, it's highly transient um, operation and there's very high parasitic loads on the engine compared to the engine power. So things like the cooling system will be taking a huge amount of power out of the driveline um, relative to the engine power, especially compared to a passenger car. So there's, there's a lot of potential there. Obviously, um, there's a lot of uh, product launches happening now and coming through with the low-voltage hybrids in passenger vehicles, so 48 volts. Um, is, is the, the, the new standard there. Um, and the, the nice kind of real simple explanation for that is it's the 80-20 rule. So and I've, I've seen loads and loads of people present on 48-volt hybrids, and they all come out with the same conclusion. You get 80% of the benefits that you do with a conventional high-voltage hybrid for 20% of the costs. Okay? So if you're in a, a market where you don't have to be able to demonstrate zero emission running for the vehicle, because actually some, sometimes you do. So some of the regulations around hybrid buses, for example, um, in different countries and cities require a certain uh, amount of zero emission running. But you don't have to be able to demonstrate that. Actually, the 48-volt the, the mild hybrid in passenger vehicle is uh, it's a very good solution. And then also, the other kind of market which is often overlooked is the light and medium-duty commercial vehicles. So we see a lot of potential there, particularly because it's all about operating costs. You know, so in a lot of ways in that market, almost the, the purchase price of the vehicle is, is, isn't really a, a factor. It's about fuel consumption uh, and driver utilization and, and, and operation, operations. It's all about the, the total cost of ownership. So um, this is an area that we've kind of made our um, speciality. Um, this presentation now gets very off-highway, and that's because of the connection with Caterpillar. So um, we, we have a, a program with Caterpillar, which is partly funded by the UK government, um, which is looking at the opportunities for cost-effective electrification on off-highway machinery. So we just um, pulled this slide out in terms of, okay, if we think beyond the basic uh, traction system on a, on a typical machine, so this is a wheeled loading <laughs> shovel, but it could be, um, could be any machine, and there's, there's another example coming up. Um, what, what are the kind of main things that we could electrify without looking at the base engine? So you typically got big parasitic loads coming from the cooling system, from the fan, um, because off-highway machinery doesn't move very fast. Um, by its nature, it's operating in dirty environments. Cooling fans are normally specified in such a way that they give full cooling airflow at zero vehicle speed. So normal kind of rule of thumb will be somewhere between 10 and 20% of the engine power will be going just to drive the cooling fan. Um, you'll also have typically a, a cooler in that cooling pack just for the hydraulic drive for the cooling fan. So the sort of fan's cooling itself, um, which is be slightly strange. Next on, we've got the HVAC systems. So again, in, in off-highway machinery, um, because of the demands for health and safety for the uh, operators of the machines, there's huge power consumption from the, um, the, the ventilation and air conditioning system, air cleaning for the cabin. Um, so the, there tends to be uh, a, lo a lot of um, parasitic power consumption from that system. 
We also have, in, this is a weird loading shovel, so articulated machine, has a separate steering pump, so there's a hydraulic pump in that machine for steering drive. Um, crank assist alternator, um, and then obviously the, the engine coolant pump as well. So the, the, all of those things are quite easy to implement at a machine level, other than the engine coolant pump. Uh, we're obviously in low volume machinery, and e even a big corporation, uh, effectively the machine groups have some degree of separation from the engine group. So effectively, even though it's an internal customer, it's still a third party customer. So making changes to the base engine are, are quite difficult, but, but are, are starting to happen. It was interesting in a presentation yesterday, um, which was actually uh, by the, the guys from JCB looking at um, the NOx emissions, it identified the initial part of the drive cycle during the engine warm-up period as being sort of the, the next kind of big win. We, we are seeing, uh, not just with Caterpillar, but a lot of activity around the uh, engine coolant pump based, based on that. Because obviously if you can control the, the pump and decouple it from the engine speed, you can increase the engine warm-up time significantly uh, compared to a standard mechanical pump. To us, um, electrification like this always seems like a bit of a no-brainer. And uh, to be fair, we, we get a lot of objections, uh, so we get used to this. And, and even within customers where we have running programs and proven product, you still come across people who are naysayers and, uh, and they don't quite get it. So um, when we're looking at taking the belt drive loads or the, the feed loads off the engine um, and electrifying them, there's always typically an objection that it can't be sufficient. So if we're driving something mechanically off the engine, there's only the belt losses. It's you know, pretty much a, nearly 100% efficient in terms of the drive. If you want to now make that electrical, we've got a, the conversion losses of going from the engine to an alternator to a battery and then back out to the device. So it's, it's, there's no way it can be as, be as efficient. Um, so that's normally the, the first and, and biggest uh, objection. Um, the other problem that we've come across a lot now um, is to do with simulation. So uh, really the uh, electrified components, particularly on the ancillary systems, come into their own under transient operation. But basically all of the uh, modeling tools that are currently used don't accurately um, model transient conditions. So the, the big sort of software packages like GT um, and then the internal OEM packages, they're, they're multi steady state point uh, operating conditions. So it's very hard in the normal sort of design process of, okay, we'll do a simulation. The results you get out of the simulation don't tend to make any sense. Um, so we see a lot of issues around simulating effectively transient operation of these uh, electrified systems. So there's a lot of work has gone into that. The other big problem is electrical power. Uh, in, uh, in buses, we're quite lucky now that Globally, 24 volts is a standard. It didn't used to be in America. They used to run 12 volts on very big buses. So there's a lot you can do at 24 volts. In off-highway, uh, quite a lot of the machines are 12 volts, base electrical architecture. So that is a limiting um, consideration. So there are some really, really straightforward things. So 24 volt base uh, machines that you can do, very, very cost effective, sometimes even cost saving compared to uh, implementing hydraulic drives for ancillary systems. Um, but there's always a big debate around electrical power. How do we upgrade the electrical systems? What do we have to do for energy storage? Uh, not enough electrical power is available. Um, and the final one is about customers not being willing to pay the additional cost. Um, so everyone is uh, very conscious about adding cost onto machines and, uh, and vehicles and basically looking at an up cost scenario is very difficult to, to get that through at a senior level within any uh, OEM. 
and it doesn't matter who it is, you know, if you're going to the board and saying, we want to implement this new technology and it's going to add $100, $1,000, whatever it is to the cost of the machine, you're going to get quite a lot of resistance. Um, so being able to understand the economics and the market in terms of are the customers willing to pay for this is, um, is really important. On that final one, I can address that point before I move on. So we've, we actually took this to the OEM market 10 years ago. And to be honest, we weren't very successful. Um, we were talking to people about electrification and getting laughed at and thrown out of rooms. And it was, uh, it was like, you know, I'll make a film about it one day. It'd be quite funny. Actually, we established uh, an aftermarket business unit. Um, and we now have a small team in the UK, quite a big team in North America, um, where we retrofit um, low voltage microhybrid systems to commercial vehicles and off-highway equipment. Um, and it kind of, it's quite expensive to do that because we're going out, we've got to have field service guys who can go out. But the economics, even at that level, makes sense. So when it's an OEM fit, it can make even more sense. One of our better customers in the UK is a, a bus manufacturer called Wrightbus. They market the microhybrid thing as an actual, um, as a tag on the, on the vehicles. So they add a premium to the cost of the vehicles, and actually the, the best margin they generate on, uh, on their bus sales is, is through the additional margin on the microhybrid system. Um, it's a much better margin than they do on a flat bus sale. Um, as of this year, 100% of the buses that Wrightbus sell are now microhybrid buses, and they've got three different levels of microhybrid. So kind of the, the, the market, if you can demonstrate a cost saving to the end customer, the customers are, are, are smart enough that they know it's not just about the purchase price of, of, of the vehicle or the machine, it is about the total cost of ownership. So um, this is kind of going back to the first point, so to do with the efficiency. Um, so what we find, we've got two example uh, driving cycles. So interesting, we've been talking a lot about driving cycles the last couple of days. So the NLTC and the WHTC there, they're basically very, very transient. So off-highway machines, buses, anything operating in an urban environment has exceptionally transient driving conditions, stop, start, accelerate, decelerate, on the power, off the power. Um, when we look at the, the efficiency of a typical uh, ancillary, so in this case, the, the graph shows a fan, so this would be an engine-driven fan. Obviously, it has a, a peak efficiency, so actually fans are, fans are not very efficient generally, so 25, 30% efficiency is, is good for a fan, but it falls off very sharply as soon as you're out of that peak operating point. So as long as your pump and your fan and all your other bits and pieces are attached to the engine, they're being dragged around doing what the engine wants to do from a speed point of view. Um, so actually, whatever you've gained in terms of belt efficiency, you've lost in terms of those devices being off their peak operating point. And what we tend to find is that, so particularly the cooling system components, will be specified for the, uh, the peak torque, um, peak engine power output operating point, um, which basically the vehicle spends almost no time sitting at. So it might be 80% all the time, or constant speed, variable power. Um, those, those applications are really interesting. So things like excavators, where you're running all the ancillaries at constant engine speed, but actually the load on the engine is varying up and down. So there's a, there's a huge um, kind of under-the-curve performance benefit that can be gained, and that's without even considering the smart charging. What we found in the work that we've done in off-highway, on different machines, and also on on-highway, is that it's possible to recover all of the energy 
required to run the ancillary systems on the vehicles and machines under the, the braking, um, so through regen braking on the machine. And even when we're doing a 24-volt base system, we don't, um, we don't have to go to a fancy lithium battery pack. We just base you know, good quality lead-acid batteries. Um, they work as a good energy store. And um, we can get all of the power that we need for the ancillary systems essentially for free from a fuel point of view. So we're just, uh, just charging under braking. Uh, and, and there's a lot of off-highway drive cycles that are the same as that. Not all of them. Um, the, the, I think the most difficult one was, was mentioned yesterday, which is the dozer, so the track-type tractor. Um, that's, that's a, there is no regen braking potential in that uh, drive cycle at all. Um, but in, in pretty much all, all the rest of them, there is some element of, of um, recovery possible. So the, the kind of the basic benefits that we're getting there, we can help at um, real-world performance level because we're decoupling these components now from the engine speed. Um, and that's so all the sort of hydraulic drives and, uh, and the accessories that are sitting on the engine. So we basically can optimize the component design. So what we don't do is take an engine-driven fan, stick an electric motor on it, and hope for the best. That doesn't work. Um, so we optimize the components. We optimize the pumps. We move the best efficiency point on the pump so that it reflects where the pump is actually spending all of its time operating. Um, so we still have a, a sort of peak operating point, but actually the best efficiency point will more um, accurately represent where the pump is going to sit now. Um, we can support stop-start. So one of the things that has been found in the bus industry, it's been one of the first heavy-duty markets to adopt stop-start engine technology. Um, if you have a hydraulically driven steering system um, with a hydraulic pump which is connected to the engine um, and you stop the engine and you've got a bit of steering lock on, the steering wheel quite violently kicks back. Um, so that's not very good. Drivers don't like that. Uh, it's a safety concern there. So basically, you have to have an electric um, hydraulic pump to facilitate stop-start engine operation. But then when we've peeled off the other um, parasitic loads from the engine, what we've done is reduce the cranking load on the engine um, by over 60%. So actually, if you've got a stop-start engine, one of the limitations tends to be the, um, the life of the starter motor. The life of the starter motor is a function of how many stop-start events you want to have per hour and the cranking loads that you're putting on it. Uh, taking all these parasitic loads off the engine takes that load off the starter motor. So you can have better utilization, you can enable more start-stop events per hour um, with with electrified ancillary package. Um, we've got a pretty cool video um, of two buses drag racing. So that's what we do for fun in Newcastle. Um, it's moved on from burning cars and uh, barbecuing things. So um, in the drag race scenario, it was uh, the, the difference is huge between the very simple uh, electrified ancillary bus and a, a standard bus. Um, so you don't often want your buses and off-highway machines to drag race, but it's a very kind of good uh, point about that low speed power and the, the power consumption of these devices at low, low engine operating speeds. So the, the third kind of big, big instrument and where we have a lot of interest now, and I think that sort of, based on what was said yesterday, makes sense in terms of the thermal management. So if you want your SCR to work properly, you want your DPF to work properly, your engine has to be at the right temperature. Um, basically, it's quite hard to get a modern diesel engine up to the right temperature um, under normal operating conditions. So there's loads of issues with low temperature operation. Um, I heard last year about a fleet, a fleet 
of excavators that uh, an end user had purchased and then returned because he was unhappy with the number of regen events that were happening. Sort of every couple of hours, these excavators were going into regen, basically because they were cold. The engines are not, not getting up to the right temperature. And we find that a lot. But through electrification, we can improve that thermal management. We can improve the, the efficacy of the after-treatment system. Um, there is a safety angle, not so much an off-highway, but strangely in the bus industry, um, there's a bit of a, uh, a thing with buses going on fire. Um, in North America, this was a huge problem. Um, the hydraulic drive systems, essentially, that are used for the, the cooling fans, very prone to leaks, and that, that hydraulic fluid is then incredibly combustible. I think off-highway equipment tends to be designed, you know, the off-highway guys are hydraulic people, so it's a different kind of design, design um, standard there, but uh, big industry, big issue in the bus industry with bus fires to do with hydraulic system leaks, so there's a, there's a safety angle as well. And the kind of final thing, actually, is other technologies. So we, it's been mentioned about waste heat recovery a couple of times. Um, we have um, the possibility with, a, with 48 volt systems particularly to implement waste heat recovery, so ORC technology, but also uh, thermoelectric technology at 48 volts. Um, electric um, superchargers, turbochargers, which are, are known to be a good tool to improve transient engine performance and emissions control. Um, basically, you, you can't make a 12-volt um, electric turbocharger that's very effective. You're speed limited on the, on the machine. So 48 volts, now that, that starts to happen. And the other big thing is actually my um, friends at Koenigsegg have been quite big on this one, is electronic valve actuation. So they're all as that one of those dreams that um, certainly I used to have uh, being involved in engine development was being able to actuate the valves electronically and get rid of the cams. Very, very hard to do that at 12 volts, like impossible. 24 volts, very difficult. 48 volts, actually very feasible to do electronic valve actuation. So it's a real enabler for other technologies, just putting um, a, a decent electrical system on. So um, on, on to the Caterpillar uh, story. So. We, um, we got to know Caterpillar through this project. Um, so the, the, the famous rigid frame mining truck. Um, this is, um, it, it's, it was an aftermarket project. Um, the people at Caterpillar found out about it uh, and then we ended up working with them on, on something um, more serious. So this is a huge truck, massive engine, 1,000 kilowatts plus, I think maybe 1,100 kilowatts rated power. Um, we implemented a 24-volt microhybrid system on this. So we basically electrified the cooling pack, put a smart alternator on it, um, and actually this delivered a 15% fuel saving. So this, this truck uses something like 90 liters of fuel an hour. So 15% fuel saving is huge um, in terms of the operation of the truck. Um, so it was quite, a, a, quite an interesting project, um, developed a lot of interest, and, and particularly with CAT, and then led on to a much closer relationship with them. So we've been working now with CAP for a couple of years on the UK-funded project Innovate UK. Uh, and the, the topic of the, that program is, is, is really two areas. It's waste heat recovery and electrified ancillary systems. So the waste heat recovery part, I think, is fair to say that's probably more at uh, sort of proof of concept, initial um, low TRL level uh, stage. The electrified ancillaries, though, actually have been um, very very successful, gaining good traction uh, in terms of what we can do with those parts. So looking at something like the articulated truck system around the, the base engine. So there's, there is a very advanced control system. Um, we've got um, a very smart uh, crank assist uh, generator on there. So that is controlled based on what the vehicle is doing, based on what the battery state of charge is. Um, it's 
it, um, it's very power dense, um, so we're getting close to 20 kilowatts and out of that machine. Um, electrified cooling system, electrified pumps, um, so that there are some other electrified components on there. But getting some really good, um, really good cost-effective uh, savings on that truck, that driving cycle. So an example of, of what we've done. So, um, so um, essentially, this had a very classic uh, cooling system design on this truck, a, a large hydraulic fan, um, radiator hydraulic oil cooler. It's a little bit unusual in, on the articulated truck, they've got two cooling packs. There's one at the front um, and one at the back. The, the reason for that, historically, was because of visibility regulations. So they've got, they've got to have a tapered nose on the vehicle to have driver visibility into the right areas. So they didn't have the frontal space at the front of the vehicle to have um, a cooling pack. So they'd already split the cooling pack out on the machine. So they have some, some of the cooler group at the front, some at the back. Um, so essentially, working with almost standard um, cooler group, we've taken off the hydraulically driven system and we've gone to an e-fan system. So I mentioned before about the hydraulic oil cooler. So this machine does have a hydraulic oil cooler, which is just for the hydraulic oil of the fan system. So obviously we can delete that. So there's a, a, a cooler saving there. And we've used a fan array. So a fan array is a bit counterintuitive um, most people say, well, okay, fan laws tell me that a big fan is more efficient than a little fan, and that is true, um, to move a given amount of air, but lots of little fans are more efficient than one big fan to move the same given amount of air um, when you go through it from first principles. So our preferred approach is always for an array of fans that we can control, and we control those based on the temperature requirements in the different cooling groups. So it's very important that we've got split cooling packs on this, so we've got fans running just on the charge air system. We can control that independently of the jacket water temperature on the radiator um, and, and always running with a, an array of fans. Um, we have a large fan and a small fan and we mix and match those up to get the best coverage. With, um, with smaller diameter electric fans, we can actually mount those much closer to the heat exchangers. We are able to eliminate a lot of the, um, the built-in losses in the, in the vehicle design. So essentially, there's always a fudge factor when you're designing a cooling pack that says, okay, that's my fan performance, that's my airflow performance for my heat exchanger, and now it doesn't work on the machine, so I've got a difference between the two. That's my built-in resistance value for the machine, which is partly a function of the, the grill that the air has to be drawn through, but also partly a function of just ducting losses and the fan loss between the heat exchanger and the fan. So a large fan, you have to accommodate for the fan blades flexing and moving around, particularly an engine-driven one, even on hydraulic. So you can't mount it very close to the heat exchanger. It has to stand off by quite a long way. Um, we get a lot of loss in that, uh, in that duct um, be because, of, uh, be because of that spacing and the and ducting losses. We call them ducting losses. So actually our electric fan system um, in pretty much every case is less than 20% of the power consumption of the hydraulic system that we've taken out. And that's on um, you know, medium trucks, articulated, heavy off-highway machines, wheeled loading shovels, um, buses, etc. So there's a big, just simple parasitic power saving by going to electrified devices. And again, that's without taking into consideration the fact we can get our power for free under vehicle braking. So that's um, what we did with the cooling group. Um, so this, this slide is now, oh, again, uh, someone, a cat went crazy. 
and uh, they took off the uh, the scales on the axes uh, and the kind of interesting bits of information. Um, so it's quite hard to understand what this slide means, and I do apologise for that. Um, basically, what we found, we've done a lot of modelling, we've done a lot of machine testing, um, we've done a lot of um, dyno testing of the components, the system, um, everything working together. We got uh, something like an just on the coolant pump, something like an 80% uh, power saving in the power consumption of the, the, the cooling pump by going to um, by going going to an electrified pump. We're able to hold the engine temperatures much more stably. So the the, the top graph um, here is engine temperature. The blue lines are the standard truck, and the green lines are the the electrified truck. So you can see the engine temperature is much more consistent across the, this particular driving cycle and, and all the driving cycles. So it, it's been very effective in terms of the, the thermal management for the engine, very good, direct power saving um, on the, the parasitic loads of, of, of the components, um, and able to, to target the, the cooler groups particularly. So there is some issues on, um, so if you, if you do on-highway truck design and you've got a conventional cooling pack on that, there's a lot of problems with things like thermal shock, uh, temperature cycling in the cooling system. And essentially, thermal shock is a function of the, uh, the coolant in the radiator being kind of overcooled by the airflow, because um, normally you're running that fan because you need the charge air cooler to be cooled, not the jacket water system. Your thermostat cracks open a little bit, you dose the engine with cold water, thermostat snaps shut, cycle repeats. And we've got a lovely little animation of that happening on our website. Um, <coughs> So actually taking out thermal shock, uh, thermal stress, that's got some big advantages for reliability. But to the extent where we saw a reduction of a factor of a thousand in thermal shocks on the engine. So now we're looking at, well, actually, can we downgrade the spec on the heat exchangers? You know, because we don't have to be able to do 500,000 thermal shocks anymore. So, um, so there's some other, other kind of benefits coming through there. Um, yeah, so this is uh, particularly just looking at the, the engine cooling pump, um, and I mentioned we had an 80% uh, power saving. So on this um, on this this program on the articulated truck across the full range of uh, drive cycles that CAT used to validate machine performance, um, we're seeing more than 10% uh, fuel savings on on all those driving cycles. Um, the system it does have a lithium battery. Um, so it does require a, a 48 volt battery. It's not a very big one. It's only two kilowatt hours. So a very small battery pack needed to make this work properly, and really delivering quite a worthwhile fuel saving. Um, so in terms of what the operator of that machine is going to save, there's a there's a clear and fast payback um, in terms of the up cost on the machine, because there is in this case an up cost on the machine. We could have not gone for 48 volts and done simpler electrification. Um, so it was possible this was a 24-volt base machine. We could have electrified some of the components, but not all of them. Um, we had about 6% uh, fuel saving um, with that approach, but it was decided to go with, with this approach because it, it gives an architecture then that is flexible, that can do more in the future in terms of adding other features and taking things away. So there was a very kind of clear business decision, lots of analysis, lots of uh, sort of big sessions in deciding on the pathway and do we stick at 24, do we add the 48, is it worth it? The extra cost of the battery being significant. Um, 
the thing that really helped us in that discussion was even during the, the time period of this project, the cost of that battery halved. Um, so now, actually, it's, it, it's, it's, you know, it's not actually that expensive to implement a two kilowatt hour um, high power battery that you can use for this kind of thing. So there we go. So the summary is there's some significant benefits through electrification. It is a mega trend. Um, not everywhere, you know, some manufacturers you go and talk to and they're kind of not really looking at electrification yet. Um, we see huge amount of activity and, and really at Avid, I can say that we've gone from sort of selling the concept to people five years ago to now delivering programs and having things in series production. Um, where, where a full EV isn't practical, so we've talked about lots of examples the last couple of days with, you know, long-haul long trucks, uh, off-highway off machines, Actually, there's still a lot you can do through low voltage, mild and micro hybrid systems. Um, and there's also a really good angle on that just from a, you know, diesel engines have got a bit of a bad reputation, but there's a sort of badging marketing angle on this as well. that You can actually add some value to the machine, add a premium to the, to the machine as well. Um, the RDE uh, certification particularly, so this is passenger car orientated, basically is, is pushing a, a huge amount of electrification. So one of the things we've seen a massive uh, surge in is passenger car electric coolant pump uh, demand. So that was something that was kind of a fringe activity. BMW did it, a couple of others did a little bit of it. Um, the last 12 months, like, we've probably had more inquiries for um, electric coolant pumps for passenger car engines than we have in the last 10 years, um, and a number of programs now moving through to production. Um, same thing for the, for the heavy engines as well, um, with the coolant pump. The 48-volt system does have some advantages. The big disadvantage is it does add uh, another level of cost and a 48-volt battery pack, so you're going to have to put a lithium pack on it. Um, it doesn't have to be that much extra cost, but there are some significant benefits that can come through that. And one of the other sort of key points that's come out recently uh, for this is that it's not necessarily a choice of if I do that, I can't do that. So on uh, high voltage EV or HEV, um, typically the, the biggest uh, power consuming devices on that vehicle will be the pumps for the coolant, the fans for the cooling system, the power steering drives. And actually, if you're running all of those at 12 or 24 volts, there's some good benefit on a high voltage EV of going to 48 volts. Um, and the cost of a 48 volt drive for something like a power steering uh, system is significantly less than a 600 volt drive. So actually, as a sort of three voltage architecture, is, uh, there's, there's a lot of people, not, not for series production yet, but working on that uh, in terms of a, a concept to take cost out and put improved functionality in. So if you've done the homework and you've got a 48 volt system developed already, actually it's not um, sort of exclusive. You know, you can use a lot of that equipment on your full EV or HEV powertrain to improve the parasitic losses. Even just things like reducing the size of the cabling. So you go, you know, for a, a five kilowatt um, electric machine on a 12 volt system, your cable's the size of your arm down to 48 volts. So you can take weight out of the machine uh, or the vehicle as well through that. So there's a lot, of, uh, a lot of benefits that can come through some fairly simple electrification. And it doesn't always have to be about the primary drivetrain. Um, electrifying the components around the engine allows you to keep the, the, the basic uh, the benefits of the diesel engine and the range that that gives you. Um, but deliver still CO2 savings and, uh, and emission savings, particularly through the thermal management angle. Okay, thank you. Tim, thank you.
So, th so thanks for the presentation. Uh, it's recognizable that you're really deep into that stuff. Who has questions on that? And certainly I have a question. Um, you know, John Deere is the largest uh, agricultural equipment manufacturer. They did the auxiliary electrification in 2007. They showed it on the Agritechnica fair. Yeah. And they've taken it out somewhere around 2010, so it's not in the vehicle anymore. It's not, not in production. Um, compared, and, and they found they had the same reasoning why auxiliary electrification makes a lot of sense and they don't have it in it anymore. Do you have any explanation for that? Do you know about that? I believe that so the auxiliaries, that's, that was the concept or the, the kind of electrified back end uh, system. So the putting electrified devices mm -hmm. on, the, on the vehicle. There, there's, um, I think, work still going on looking at the on-engine devices, so improving cooling system, pumps, etc., um, and a lot of work on hybrids. Like, and, and they're not they're not alone through that. So, um, but I think the particular problem that in the past was just that the actually the market wasn't there for the accessories, so you couldn't buy a seed drill that was compatible at, a, at okay. the right sort of price with that system okay. at that time. So they may be a little bit too early back then. The um, component availability. Yeah. yeah. Whereas now, actually, um, that that's that's change, changing, mm -hmm. and the back end electrification. There's more manufacturers who are doing that kind of thing. So, more components. Yeah, and talk, talking about the electrification, we had the, really the, we are in, mid, in, in the midst of the hype cycle. We had the, the hype of electrification in agriculture in 2010, 2011, and now we are in a deep valley. Everybody, most of them have um, at least reduced a lot their electrification work. Everybody is waking. So at, at the moment, agricultural business is thinking about do we, when, do we, do we electrify our drivetrains and if we do at all, when is the time to do it? It doesn't seem to be at the moment. Yeah, so there's, for, for agricultural machines, I, I think it probably comes back to what I was saying before about um, it's easy to get carried away on the, the, the traction system. So everyone thinks, oh, electrification, that means traction drive. That's, that's it, end of story. I can say that I'm aware of a lot of agricultural vehicle manufacturers who are still very, very engaged with electrification and with products coming in the series production in, in very like very near future, where it's highly electrified drivetrain, but not uh, a sort of classic high voltage uh, EV or HEV system. So there's still a lot coming coming through there. That because the, the fundamental problem is actually packaging a battery pack into a, a tractor that's big enough, um, you know, to do a day's work is is almost impossible. So you've you've then got to be a hybrid, and then you've got a high with a hybrid system, you've got packaging issues and cost issues because you've still got the cost of an engine. You've got an expensive drivetrain, so um, you know the, the economics of a, of a high voltage hybrid um, in that market don't work at the moment. Mm -hmm. um, but the economics of the low voltage, mild micro hybrid systems on this kind of equipment do do really work. The the one I think in in agricultural equipment, um, the it, it's very different to um, things like construction machinery and actually so particularly the bus market where you know normal buses do maybe 16 to 20 hours a day 360 days a year you know with a couple of days off for good behavior um, agricultural machinery tends to be a bit more application specific less highly utilized um, although that that is changing the model the usage model industry is, is changing so the um, 
the, the, the sort of cost savings you can get from a high voltage hybrid in some applications where it is like the fuel saving pays for the extra equipment doesn't necessarily translate through into right. the volume agricultural applications. Mm -hmm. um, but it, in, in, in some places it, it does make perfect sense. So that's all for today. Thanks very much for listening. Uh, please don't forget to subscribe to the channel. Uh, leave us a rating or hit like, it, uh, depending on which platform you're listening on. It really helps us to reach more people and, uh, and get the message about vehicle electrification out there. So thanks very much and uh, look forward to talking to you again soon.